Hi, I'm Dave O'Hare, and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to episode 29 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. And funnily enough, we're speaking to 29-year-old Irishman, Dave O'Hare. Dave was a top Irish junior. He went to university in the States at the University of Memphis, where he became number three ranked doubles player in the States, along with Joe Salisbury, who last year was ATP top 20 doubles player, along with getting to the ATP Tour Finals, where Dave and Joe worked together. Dave was also on the Irish Davis Cup team. He'd a stint as a pro doubles player, we got to about 120 in the world and then injury made him stop. He began doing a bit of coaching and he'd planned to go to New Zealand in 2019 to work over there, but he was there one night and he was called into action at the Aussie Open as a coach. And from there, he had a magical year where he ended up coaching Rajiv Ram and Joel Salisbury at the ATP Tour Finals. It was an amazing year. Dave tells us all about his career, his tennis, how he got on coaching, and also plans for the future with his job as assistant coach in Memphis starting very soon. Before we get started, I just want to say thanks to Head, who in my opinion make the best tennis rackets in the world. And also if you're new, please hit subscribe button. Okay, let's hear Dave's story. Hi Dave, welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Thanks for having me, Fab. It's great to have you here. This is my first ever podcast done in person. So I went to do the mic setup earlier. Didn't work, completely failed. So <laughs> we're on the lav mics here in the Zoom recorder. So it should be all good. Yeah, I mean, I'm pr- impressed with the setup already. Looks looks legit. Get out of here. So yeah, Dave, great to have you on the podcast. Uh, you have an amazing story from uh, your own tennis career, from juniors all the way to college tennis, to Davis Cup, and also to a spectacular 2000. And 19 coaching career. So yeah, let's first talk about wh- when did tennis start for you? I guess I do have a pretty unique and interesting tennis story, but uh, I grew up, I'm the youngest of four. So I kind of just grew up watching all my siblings play, played a bit of everything growing up. You know, here in Ireland, we've got traditional Irish sports, Gaelic and hurling. So played a bit of them, played a little bit of football. And uh, tennis is always just one of the weekdays events, you know, just we got, got carted out to Temple Oak Tennis Club, watched all my siblings play and mum would have wasted a bit of time with me feeding some balls. It really, my tennis really took priority then when I was about 15, 16. Uh, I made the finals of the national tournament here in Fitzwilliam. And then as a result, I got an invite to train out with the national team, uh, which coincided with our fourth year in school, which is a transition year where there's kind of limited emphasis on uh, school subjects, really. It's kind of a year to do a little bit of shadowing and, you know, career work. So I just played a bunch of tennis that year. And there was a Spanish guy in the Federation at the time, Javier de Castro, and he took a big interest in me, saw that I was keen and trained with him almost every morning along with Mark Botel who went to LSU and who I heard by the way is Ben Stiller's coach yeah yeah he's coaching in New York now um, out of John McEnroe's academy so Bowie's done well for himself so and then then I went on to do a month in Mallorca at uh, Moya's academy global tennis team and I'll never forget like you know my first kind of time going abroad to play and 
I arrived late on the Saturday night. Sunday was a complete off day, so I'm twiddling my thumbs, just looking at four nice clay courts in the front of the place. And uh, Monday morning rolls in, I rock down to breakfast. There's Moya rocks in and I'm like, little 12 year old, you know, running up to my dad being like, yo, you wouldn't believe it. Like, Moya's here. So uh, next thing you know is Moya's climbing on court with us. So hitting with Moya on the Monday, Tuesday, and then the Wednesday of my first week was the famous half clay court, half grass court match with Federer versus Nadal. Was that on over there? That was in Palma, yeah. Oh, wow. So, so that was the, the, you know, the Wednesday. So we all got tickets for that. And I went and saw that live and uh, had a brilliant month training there. I think uh, leading into the French Open, Panetta and Moya were actually dating at the time. And... Uh, she was on site, so I was sparring with her leading into the French, which is brilliant. And then got a bad wrist injury. Um, and then I was out for a year. So came back, sat my leaving cert and did all my schoolwork and then did a year in Belgium training. And then a couple of college offers started to come in for me where I then went on to Memphis, had four great years in college tennis where I advise everyone to do it was a brilliant time yeah. just with the team atmosphere and everything like that just cut back a sec we're just going to throw back a sec Federer Nadal Grass and the clay, clay. yeah how is that like I, you see the video I see the vid video is so famous on YouTube and yeah but it looks so fake yeah it was bizarre it really was bizarre and it was gas because you know obviously Nadal's meticulous with taking on and off his shoes so that he's changing shoes every other yeah. you know change of ends so like it was a real kind of show it wasn't like okay. a real kind of tennis battle battle you know what it, it, it was just for the fans and the sponsors and if there was charities involved or whatever and that it was uh it wasn't like a great display of tennis but it was it was quirky quirky yeah. idea to be fair it's probably one of the most famous youtube videos out there is it yeah with, I mean, one it's up there anyway, tennis -wise. not the most but tennis wise yeah it probably is if i put up in functional tennis it gets does quite well but I haven't put it up in ages now okay i think the quality is not great it's been uploaded so many times these things deteriorate yeah. but uh so yeah so going on to memphis so you spent four years at Memphis, four good years. Four good years, yeah. We had a brilliant team there and just loved the, the college environment, the team aspect um, that you don't really get exposed to as an individual tennis player. Quickly, uh, had a doubles partner, Joe Salisbury, who's done really well for himself yeah. now this past year. And we were freshmen room together in the dorms and, you know, quickly kind of established ourselves as a, as a good team over in the collegiate rankings and then our highest ranking was three in the country so yeah and then made some ncaa appearances and and that's where my kind of love for doubles because in the college system over in the states it's it's a quick fire set it's just an eight game pro set and there's a load of high energy you win two out of the three matches in order to get one one point and then you play six singles flat out so you kind of clinch the first team to four and it's hard not to really love that environment you know there's it's so fast-paced there's so much going on you've kind of got six of your best mates lined up on on yeah. the courts and you know you're just so fully bought into like a team win that you can kind of you know shed the expectations on yourself and you know even if you know you're not having a good day you can still help a teammate maybe on the third court you know yeah. and compliment him and just try and battle through your match and stay out there as long as you can if you're having a bad day it's more like you're part of a soccer team not a yeah. not a, a tennis match like it must be so different to 
I'm not sure exactly your singles career on yeah. the ATP tour, but it must be so different to be on the tour. It's even, it's you and one guy, you don't have a team around you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that was a big shock to me, you know, when you kind of, I, I wasn't even really fully thinking I was ever going to play pro tennis. Yeah, I was pretty much my senior year, Joe and I got ranked three in the country. Well, you did play the Brian brothers though. But we what did, year yeah. was that in? That was 2014. So that was my last year. Um, and the only reason we got that probably I got a late call up to the Irish Davis Cup team back in February 2014. So that was like two and a half, three weeks ahead of the ATP in Memphis. Play my first Davis Cup match against Max Mirny and oh, Alexander Burry. So played against these two, obviously, obviously no ATP points. You know, we were getting absolutely slaughtered in the media. Who'd you play dubs with? I played with Klusky. Oh, I played James with James Klusky. Klusky. Okay, who's been mentioned here many times. We were getting murdered thinking like we pretty inexperienced team. John Morrissey and Daniel Glancy were our singles player. So we were missing kind of the likes of McGee, Nile and Sorensen. Yeah. I'm sorry if I've missed a few names Sam, there. Sam, Sam, of course. The yeah, rest of yeah. Cause, of course, because Sam was injured. So so we were kind of a little bit an experienced team and we are kind of getting it in the chops from the Belarusian media and whatever else. About would we extend the tie into the weekend and this and that. And all throughout college, I would have played exclusively on the do side. Klusky, of course, only wanted to play deuce. Um, so I was kind of lumped on the ad and... Yeah, I was happy to do it. I yeah. played, honestly, the match of my life, but had an epic story getting there between cancelled flights and bags not arriving and all sorts to carry on. You know, literally on the Thursday, that was when my, my rackets arrived and I would have been pretty like yeah. anal about having are, my, yeah. yeah, my rackets and they're weighted up my way and all that kind of stuff. So all things considered, I managed to face a little bit of adversity just in the demons I created yeah. in my own head. Rackets arrived and played a brilliant match, only narrowly losing to the boys. It was in the fifth set, I think it was 6-3 or 6-4 in the fifth, but we had match point in the fourth set tiebreak, Klusk and I, and Mirny was serving to me and he slid me up the tee and I actually got a hold of a good return, um, but he had such a calm and experienced leave, I must have missed it by, geez, an inch, a couple inches long. Yeah. and. Uh, he didn't even check. But I, yeah, but I middled it. I felt like I hit a good return. And yeah. um, he was getting me wide most of the day. And then he slid me up the tee on match point. And I actually thought I got a hold of it pretty good. But cool as you like, he just dropped the racket face down and let it glide behind him, which would have been honestly probably one of the biggest wins in, in Davis yeah. Cup, I think, with such a big yeah. name. Encounter Max a few times. He's played against him. Yeah, a he's few played times, a few so. times. That was a shame not to, yeah. not to get my first win then and there. But that kind of experience, you know, playing in front of that, you know, obviously Max is a big figure yeah. in Belarusian sports, I presume. So the place is fairly packed. You know, I think he's Olympic gold medalist, right, with I Azarenka. Think so, yeah. so he's got a fair amount of prestige and conquered a lot in the game. So to almost take him out as a little novice, You're you like, know, college student. I can do this. I yeah, do yeah. You kind of think to yourself, geez, that was a brilliant experience. And then fast forward kind of 10 days and back in Memphis and Joe and I get wind that we got a wild card and we're due to face the Brian brothers Wednesday night feature match. Uh, round one. Round, you know, so, so that, that's really where everything started to shift for me. Um, Did you decide then? I'm going. I want to try this. Well, yeah. I think. I think up to that point, I kind of thought I would, you know, play a little, a few of the summer tournaments with Joe in the UK. But like, it was more 
dead set and enjoying the lifestyle I created in the States and looking at maybe doing grad school and, you know, just extending my time there, really. Was Joe the same age as you? Joe was the same year. Same year. Same yeah. year as me. So then after, after those two, you know, results and occasions, so we lost, we lost four and four. So two sudden net juices to the Bryant. So you're kind of thinking to yourself, Jesus, you know, they're one yeah. of the best of all time. You've done pretty good. Uh, it'd be a total different story now if I was to face off against one of the greats, like uh, Jocko or a Fed. Yeah, well, you're playing doubles, you're playing doubles greats, so... Yeah, but, in, but uh, you, you know, quickly knew that singles... is a different ball game. Different ball game and, knew, you know, didn't want any part of it, really. Just know the investment that is Required, needed. Yeah. Um, not just financially, but just, you know travel, sacrifice, being away from home again, you know, you wouldn't want to be maybe training in Ireland just with the climate that we have here. If you did have aspirations of reaching the highest level yeah. of the game. So yeah, quickly doubles kind of became the focus. So transitioning from, you know, NCAA Sweet 16s to playing pro tournaments where you're kind of playing qualies, because back then you needed singles points to get into doubles. So there was huge pressure to like for me to get my first singles point. Yeah. At that point, I hated it because you're coming from all the hype of college tennis and like the highest level of it to a shed, a shed in France playing with no one watching, you know, and I was like, this is miserable. Like this isn't pro yeah. tennis. You know, I only got my first singles point in uh, in Cumberland in the UK, outdoor hardcore. I beat a guy called Tom Farkson, who's uh who's a really good player by all accounts, but managed to managed to edge him out on and the And did day. you come through qualies or you main draw? Came through qualies. Great. Yeah, so. I came through qualies. So, uh, How long have you left college at this stage? Oh, that was only a couple months okay. now. That was maybe two, three, okay. two months, I'd say. And the thing is, we didn't, Joe and I didn't get into a lot of doubles events because... Right, no had, singles. Yeah. yeah. I think for a couple of the British ones when they were futures leading up to Wimbledon, like Manchester, Ilkley and Frinton, I think. We got a wild card or managed to sneak in, all right. But lost in quarters, you know, uh, didn't get didn't get any points. My first ATP point actually came during the Irish Open in Fitz when Peter Bothwell and I lost in the final to Ed Curry and Freddie Nielsen. Okay, yeah, I remember Freddie, I didn't see that one. Yeah, yeah, so... Uh, and then from there, you know, I managed a couple of weeks later, I managed to sneak a singles point and then Joe and the I role. were kind of consistently getting into, so that would have been, when is the Irish Open? End of July? End of July, yeah. So yeah, so kind of August-ish, end of August, maybe I got my singles points. So then kind of from that point with the points I had from the final, you know, I ended that year top 300. So this know, in doubles. This is in doubles. Yeah. yeah. So this is 2014. Okay, that's a good start. So yeah, yeah got off to a really good roll and start with Joe, and then yeah, 2015 I played a good stint with Joe, and then he got injured with this kind of like chronic fatigue syndrome, so he was sidelined for a good bit, and that's when I kind of teamed up a little bit with Klusky, play more of the challengers because my ranking yeah. was kind of 280 ish and inside. And what was Klusky about that? About 200. Uh, he, no, he would have been like hundreds. Like he wouldn't have been far off as high. He would have oh, been top two hundred. He would have been one sixty maybe yeah. or something like that. So, um, so we've been in in with some in with some chatty. Yeah. So it, it was great to travel with him. He was a bit of a seasoned vet now at the dogs at this point, and just a great him. character. Yeah, he knows everybody. They knows all know everyone. him. Yeah, and they all know him. He's the gentle giant. So it was really good to to have a bit of experience traveling mm -hmm. with him. And then we obviously continued to play Davis Cup together, where we got some good results.
So you played with James and what happened after? This was 2000. So this would have been 15-ish, 16. And then, so we would have played six or seven months together. And then Klusky was coming towards the end of his career. And I decided that I would try, you know, Joe was back fit again Mm. and that I would get, get back with Joe. So we did quite well. Then once we got back together, won our first challenger in Champaign, Illinois. And then we started the year doing some of the futures and played that Maui Challenger. But we won that Christmas. We won a wild card tournament to get the wild card for Memphis. And back, it's funny. Back they, at home, Grant. Yeah, it's funny. It's kind of been tennis is one of the few sports where bearing one result, you know, if, if Joe and I won the wild card, we would have stayed in the States, started the year in California, then would have gone out to Hawaii for the Maui Challenger yeah. to come back for the Memphis yeah. 250. Had we have lost this match, we're back in the UK doing some 10Ks in Glasgow. Freezing cold somewhere. Freezing cold. So it's funny how you kind of reach these junctions where one result can kind of deviate the next few weeks. Yeah. And fortunately enough, we won and managed to stay in the States, go out to California to start the new year, played in Maui, and then, yeah, got a reward to play in the, the 250 in Memphis. Played Brian's again? No, no, we played actually, we played Mirny and... Trek Huey. So we lost them like six and five or six and four or something like that. So, the, but they were one seeds at the time. I think the previous year they made world tour finals. So they were a good, a good side. So it was a shame on our home courts. We never got like a little bit of better yeah. draw. Great experiences to take from it. So that's, that still counts for something too. And so, okay, so you're on a bit of a roll. Good start to the year. Good start to the year. Um, yeah, everything's going well. We're kind of, Joe's still playing a little bit of singles um, and then finally makes the switch and we're just going all out dubs together. Get very fortunate to get, you know, a bit of time on court with Louis Caillé and we see a bit of an improvement in our game mm. and he's kind of likes where we're at and thinks we could do well together if we just... Uh, you know, stick together as yeah. a team and stay as a partnership. Um, so we continue to do so. And then 2017, we start the year well. Joe and I win the biggest tournament we've won. We won that 125 Challenger in Dallas. And then, yeah, started, you started out the year well. A couple Everything's of finals. getting better and better. Yeah, getting know, better, right. more consistent, you know, getting a few wins. Training's going well. We're kind of close to making a yeah. big jump. We do quite poorly, actually, out in Asia. We went out to Korea. We lost like three or four first rounds in a row, a few narrow ones and a bit of a blow to confidence because at that point in time, you're kind of hoping, you know, you do a little bit well. We had some good wins beating the Skubskis in, in the Challenger in France. And um, so those kind of recognizable wins that would yeah. maybe warrant a wild card into some of the British yeah, the LTA, big so. ones, you know, where Joe would have been favored. And certainly Louis was kind of had our back to, I to help th- us. I think I remember one stage you were nearly thinking, well, you were hoping a Wimbledon wildcard wouldn't have been far off. Well, or, yeah, I mean, we were both kind of, Wimbledon wildcard is heavily dependent maybe on... Maybe a Qualies, was it? Yeah, is there Qualies yeah. dubs in Wimbledon? Quali- yeah, yeah Qualies yeah. dubs in Wimby, um was maybe a bit more realistic. But you never know, like with Joe, it's not unheard of. You know, they tend to try and maybe sort out British partnerships. Yeah. But if there's one player in the British partnership... It's not uncommon yeah, for... To make it happen. Yeah, especially because we were an established team, I guess, and we would have worked with Louis. So he would have been kind of fighting our corner a little bit. Um, it wasn't like a, he, Joe was just picking me up for the week of Wimby no, and yeah. asking for a wild card, which is a different story. But leading into the tournament, it kind of depends how you do in the grass and this and that. So so we had a bit of a shaky start in Korea, and then Joe decides to do the grass with 
Bryden Klein. And then, you know, I was actually pretty close to my career high at this point. I was about top 120 or yeah, so, somewhere in and around there, you know, top 150 for sure. And that was like a little bit of a like tough one to take because all of a sudden now I'm scrambling yeah. for a partner on the grass. And then, you know, I probably was in a position I need one good week. You were that one win away. One Your win next away. step was yeah. just that one win away from Pretty the Pretty much. And I thought I was onto a good one. I was set to play with Dustin Brown okay, in Surbiton. Sure. And this is the week where I think uh, a load of the boys that lost early in the French came over. So Dustin and I, Dustin's singles ranking was, it was top 100 and I was, you know, 130 yeah. or 120. So we were like two something below 210 and we got kicked out. I think it was, uh, who was it that bumped it? Trek Huey and Kudla. Oh no, they um, bumped, yeah. they bumped us out, you know, so the cut couldn't even be even stronger because Trek was whatever he was. So he just needed to find anyone yeah, to play with and, and he would, have, would he kicked us. <laughs> So that was a bit mad. And then the following week, I was to play with Freddie Nielsen. What was after? I think maybe the Loughborough, cha Loughborough Challenger. And Freddie didn't get into singles qualifying in Serbian, so then decided to go and play a Futures elsewhere. So that kind of left me with two barren yeah, weeks going nothing, into Wimby. Nothing's going my way. No one, yeah. no one to play with. So this is 2017. And then Luke Bambridge is of a similar vein. Didn't get much joy. And then was like, listen, why don't we just go and play in in the states play a couple of futures yeah. in the challenger so we did we played a challenger kansas i think yeah played a challenger in kansas won it our futures in kansas won it and then play winneka challenger win that so we kind of got off to just a great start yeah, and we're yeah. like jesus well, sure we'll keep where it, have you been we'll, on we'll keep it going <laughs> then yeah so finished the year finished 2017 with luke we won in fairfield 125 in that stretch and then due to play 2018 together. And then I had gone down to good friends of uh, functional tennis, uh, Levy Academy, Seb Levy yeah. Academy I down in Auckland. You even tried to get me down there because it was a good group of lads. Down it was there. brilliant, yeah. yeah. So we had a fabulous time, you know, with the likes of Ben McLaughlin, Marcus Daniel, Peter Cobalt, Sam Barry, you know, we had a great crew. Art, Art and Zetac was there as well. One of my most popular videos is still of you. Having a bad day at the office. Is it, yeah. Art, I have take. very few bad no, days no, at the office, hasn't. to be fair. Dave doesn't throw rackets. But that but one got... I think Cytec was bullying you a little bit, was he? Yeah, he was in my head and he uh, we were playing it, just a, a silly little game. But that's kind of like, it, it's an apt video because I finished the season, you know, it was started the year early, I finished the season late, playing the three indoor challenges in the States. We literally had like a week to 10 days back in Dublin before mm -hmm. getting on a plane to go down to New Zealand. Yeah. Had a brilliant setup down there. The best preseason I had just in terms of weather and setup. Like Seb obviously did ah, great. really, yeah. really great. Top job. You know, you don't manage your expectations. I was set to start the year in the States and the tournament got cancelled. So Bam and I didn't play that. I ended up playing with Freddie Nielsen then in Bangkok, kind of en route home. Doesn't go so well. We kind of lose, lose first round. Was Sam with you there? Uh, Sam wasn't with me there. Okay. He stayed to play like Numea, okay. I think. So you kind of have these high hopes. You kind of sacrifice. You've missed Christmas back at home and you put a good treat. But it's just it's feeling like the last tournament of the year yeah. instead of the first tournament of the year. So I'm not mentally fresh and ready. And I would have been always one of these kind of players that, you know, my cycle was like three or four tournaments and get back home to kind of reload yeah. and restock and everything I needed and get back out there. So it was pushing, you know, yeah. later than that. So my head was a little bit melted and, 
you know, have a bit of, not, not a bad performance, but like you just expect, you, you feel like you, you know, you deserve a better result because you think you've sacrificed, but, but looking back at it, Jesus, everyone's sacrificing, you know, that loss hurt, you know, took the wins out of my sails a little bit. You're kind of hoping you started the year a little bit better and then came home, came you? home yeah. after that. So my granny was actually a little bit unwell at the time. So I was like, listen, I'll come home and then figure out my schedule yeah. from there. And I would have been a big fan of doing Bikram yoga when I'm back in Dublin and would have done two sessions of, of the Bikram. And then on the Sunday, I remember. So that would have been, I flew Wednesday night from Thailand, arrived Thursday, kind of rushed to see my gran. She wasn't doing too good, but still alive. And then Friday, Saturday, I did Bikram yoga back to back and uh, days. Sunday, I'm thinking of doing it again. And it's actually quite a nice day in Dublin and text comes through from one of the lads. Any fancy, anyone fancy a game of football at 11? I was like, ah, sure, I'll go up and get a bit of fresh air. I'll get yeah, out of the big yeah. studio and then end up kind of doing my ankle. And um, so got torn medial lateral ligaments in my ankle. And then, yeah, haven't found uh, myself back to playing a professional match since. So happens uh, quite often. It does, it? yeah. Injury is a big part of the sport. Yeah, but even playing a sport, you're not even playing. Yeah, and, and even just the, how I did it as well. It was kind of one of the classics where it's you know you play. We played eleven on eleven. It's great fun. You kind of go up there and just fill your lungs with air and run around oh, like yeah. a headless chicken. No real structure to it. And uh, you know we're getting close to the times up, and it's we're winning by a goal. So we're up by three two, and then the other team score. I was like, our oh, time's up. I was like, oh, I was only three hours. Yeah, Let's keep well, it going. So we keep it going. And 20 seconds after keeping it going, I'm down to the ground with the dodgy ankle. So just Murphy's Law, really. Yeah, you worked hard. You did work hard to try and get back playing. And yeah, did like I rehab. did. I did. I worked hard trying to get back playing. My goal was was to get back playing. And um, so this is, yeah, still 2018. And I was, you know, firmly in my mind was maybe a potential to try and make a play for the Olympics yeah. with good pal of mine, Sam, Barry. And we were kind of both a little bit at a crossroads. He was a little bit injured. Obviously, my ankle was a bit suspect. We didn't have a huge amount of funding or support. And then just randomly in May, the end of May, I get a phone call from my college coach just catching up. Um, he's asking me how the recovery's going. I'm kind of like all positive and, you know, yeah, do this and that and try and make a play for the Olympics. That's the goal. And he's like, okay, brilliant. And I'm asking about, you know, what's the plan for his summer? Is he taking time off? And, you know, what's, what's the game plan? And what are Chris, Chris's movements, the assistant coach? And Chris was looking like he was going to move, move on from Memphis. So, you know, even at the time, you're kind of used to as a tennis player, the easy decision being the wrong decision. Oh, you yeah. Know, it made total yeah. sense for me to, to jump at the. I think that's life in general, though. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so yeah, so I, I kind of, I didn't, I didn't jump at it straight away. And, you know, obviously kind of little ring let off in the head where you're kind of, oh, this is a chance. Maybe you yeah. should take it. So, so I'm thinking about it over the weekend, but our phone call gets cut short, my coach and I, and I shoot him a message and I'm just like, listen, Great talking to you. Let me know, you know, keep me updated. Yeah. Obviously, Did he I'm offer you a job no, 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 he no. didn't even push it, okay. push it on me. Kind of just clicked in my head where I was like, uh, after, you know, our phone call got cut short. I'm like, listen, let me know. Keep me updated with Chris's movements. Yeah. And then just like a little throwaway comment kind of, 
obviously I'd be interested. Yeah, yeah. So then, of course, the text comes back being like, would love to have you, number one choice, but don't want to take you from the tour. Yeah. So so then I'm the next day, it's my birthday. The 1st of June is my birthday. And uh, I'm chatting to, obviously, friends and family back home, kind of filling them in. I just yeah. had a good little chat with Coach, what do you think I should do? And they're kind of like, oh, well, Danko feels good and you still feel like you've got... yeah. You know, some, 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 something to give on the, on the tour, then get back to doing that. But, you know, great option too, yeah. to slide back it's into tough. Memphis. It's so, a tough option though, because it's completely different, really. Yeah. Yeah. It is a tough option. And, uh, and I, you know, mum and dad are obviously very supportive in whatever I did. Yeah. And my brother would have been a huge kind of pillar of support for me while I was playing. And I woke up to a text from him on Sunday being like, listen, I think you should take it. Yeah. You know, which is, which is always been the opposite. You know, I think most tennis players have some sort of coach. Can't keep going. Yeah. But someone in their corner that kind of, they yeah. can always lean on when times are hard and yeah. they've a couple first rounds in a row. And Simon definitely would have been that for me. Okay. Good. And big support and advocate for me to keep playing. Oh, yeah. You know, and hearing it from him that I should maybe, consider. you know, consider taking the Memphis gig and so woke up and got him on the phone because I was actually in the States just doing a little bit of coaching yeah. um, just with the family that asked me while I was rehabbing. I remember you are with some yeah. kid there. I can't yeah, remember so who, I stayed, yeah. yeah, I was working with this kid. You were driving around in Ferraris and helicopters, is that? The yeah, thing? that's, no, yeah. I wish, no. no. Um, so, so I was in the States. So I, once I wake up to the text from Sai, I give him a call, you know, spend 45 minutes to an hour chatting with him on the phone and kind of like running down the options, basically like, listen, you've no funding. You don't, you know, it's a great opportunity to slide back in because admittedly the first thought I had was like, oh, if the offer is there now, it'll be there yeah. in a few years after my career or after yeah. the Olympics or whatever. Which is not true, really. Not true. No, if I mean, somebody else fills in. Yeah, exactly. If, if someone else does a great yeah. job, then then not exactly. It is. We only had Brett Macy on the podcast a few episodes ago. He's a USC yeah. coach. He used to be assistant coach years yeah. ago there, and then he went on to San Diego, was it? San Diego head coach, uh, yeah. then went to Texas Tech. Texas Tech. And then now he's back to USC. Now he's back. But he tells a story. It wasn't easy becoming the assistant coach. He did work his ass off. Yeah. He went in as a, what do you call those guys? Volunteer. Volunteer, yeah. yeah. And he says, yeah, to do everything, like, yeah. absolutely everything. And it took a lot of grit to yeah, get to yeah. where he was. So I think it's a great opportunity you had on your doorstep. And for me, yeah. And for me, it would have been the dream opportunity because I had such a good rapport with my coach. Um, he would have been an absolute saint to work hmm. for. I, I really would have liked yeah. doing it, you know. Um, to add to that, like, didn't really want to start over fresh. In a, in a, you know, like you're 28, 29 years of age, kind of. You know, at least I've got some sort of social ties and connections yeah, to yeah. the city where I know a few people still in town from my college days. Whereas like if I was to ship off to Lubbock, Texas, yeah, Jesus, who do I know in Lubbock, yeah. Texas, you know? So what happens? Do you say so yes? So I say what? yes. So I say yes. Once you say yes, then obviously when you let go of the pro aspirations, yeah. it's obviously very tough to pick them back up yeah. because ultimately the job didn't come my way. Chris didn't end up leaving. He was due to, but there was some sort of formality with where he was He's looking gone, at going yeah. and they didn't hire him and all sorts of commotion. So I kind of found out last minute, so I'm kind of in limbo. 
you're working a bit with your dad as well, aren't you? At this stage? I was doing, doing a little, little bit, bit in yeah, the dad. So, you're, um, so I'm staying yeah. relatively busy. And a bit of me is thinking like, I'll try and maybe work in the States and get a coaching gig for the summer to, you know, make a little bit of money and get back out in the tour and yeah. have like 20, 30 grand behind me, which is a luxury I never really had. Yeah. And to do it a little bit properly again, you know, and travel with the coach and, and, and not kind of, not that I penny pinched, but. Yeah, you still felt you could be, you could be there. You could get yeah, there. I mean, yeah, if, I, if I'm to be, if I'm to analyze and look at my peers, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, both previous partners in Joe Salisbury and Luke, mm. both. Yeah. yeah. Top of the game. Top of the game. They're both top, top yeah. 50, you know. Joe's nearly top well, 10 Well, Joe's now. top. Is he, yeah, is he yeah, top 10? yeah, he's top 20 for sure. Yeah. Um, he's at the O2. So he's at the O2. It. So, and, and I we'll guess get we'll, to that. we'll get, we'll to, get that, to that, which is to come. Um, so yeah, so I, I decide that I want to take the job and at Memphis and it, it falls through. So then all of a sudden now picking the rackets back up after I've decided that I want to let them let go of my dreams, if you will, was very hard. For me, you're either you're all in or you're not. It's like a chore now. Well, no. Yeah, I think it would have been just tough. I could have seen myself if things weren't going good that I could have been like, Oh, I should be in Memphis. Like, yeah. I didn't even want this. What yeah. am I doing? You know, so. Your excuse is ready. Your excuse yeah. is ready. And I don't think that's a healthy thing. So for me, it, w- it was tough. And I still had a bad ankle. Um, yeah, as it cracks right there, the that comes issue. through on the mic. So I still wasn't like ready to mm. get back. So I'm thinking maybe I'll, I'll coach and start up fresh in 2019. Which point in time, again, Sebastian Levy gets in touch, interested if I want to play some club tennis down in Auckland, do a little bit of coaching. I'm kind of like, good opportunity for me to learn a little bit yeah. from Seb because I really enjoyed his approach to tennis and everything that he envisioned. And he worked closely with Sam Barry towards the end of Sam's career. And I really liked where Sam's game was heading. I thought he was probably playing his best tennis as just kind of through injury that he had to step away from the game. So I was like, this is this is a great chance for me to to get down there, have a little bit of crack. And the ankle's still not great, because just right now, remember, I know it was a bit before that because you went away. We played a doubles match in August. Yeah. We played with Chain School Hill. Yeah. And you were covering the whole court with one foot. Really yeah, one yeah, no, the like, ankle. This guy, how does he do it? Like, you're putting yourself through pain. Like, so I can yeah. say it still wasn't yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, I had the ankle brace up. And I, I mean, I remember that was Lansdowne. I played singles yeah. the day before and had kind of tweaked it again. And what had happened with my ankle is just that it, like the bone had kind of healed outside the capsule. So the tendons just weren't taut. So it could kind of slip in and out pretty freely. And it could take 18 months yeah. for the for the ligaments to kind of gain their strength uh, again. So, yeah, I wasn't fully fit, but had the ankle brace on and went down and, and actually really enjoyed my tennis again down there and enjoyed the coaching. When was this now? So this would have been kind of October, November, okay. December oh, 2018. And then, you, and then you came back to Dublin. So then I came back to Dublin for Christmas because my brother was getting married. And then the kids and the families that I'd worked with down in Auckland were like, oh, would you come back up and finish out the rest of the yeah. Kiwi summer? And I was like, sure, nothing better to be doing. Yeah, I may as well. I think I was in talks with you and I was like, Dave, I'm going to the Aussie Open. Yeah. Can you get some players sort me out with passes here? And you're yeah. like, oh, see, you know, yeah. it's a tough gig. Tough gig. I was told that Aussie Open, I mentioned this to the podcast before that, oh, it's the easiest one. But every player has family there, ex-girlfriend, yeah. or friends or somebody or ex-boyfriend. Yeah. You're like, yeah. I was told this was the easiest. Yeah. Anyway, it wasn't. But, but you'd be surprised, you were- like just on 
in terms of uh, accreditations and tickets. Like the guys actually don't get a huge no. amount. Like by any means, I was I was surprised, you know, from my experience yeah. on the tour this past year. Uh, but yeah, so I, I end up going down to New Zealand. Yeah, almost today's the seventh of Jan. Yeah, almost, now, wasn't it? almost to the day. Uh, I went back down to Auckland and literally spent a night in Auckland and. Luke Bambridge had got in touch. Couldn't believe that I was in Auckland and offered to fly me up to Melbourne for my first kind of coaching gig on the yeah. tour at the Australian Open. So I was like, geez, brilliant. You know, I'd love it. A good, good learning experience for me. Uh, obviously get along very well with Luke and also being exposed to Louis Kaye was hugely valuable. Um, he's, he's world class. So to kind of get to pick his brain on occasion. Louis Kaye is a famous Canadian coach who works for the LTA. Yeah. And he's a, obviously turned into a double strategy specialist. Yeah. And he works with all the English yeah, players. So he's, he's, uh, so my role kind of once anyone's role, once kind of traveling with the Brit, if you're involved in doubles is Louis effectively kind of like consultant head coach and yeah, for six months while I was with Luke now, I'd have been channeling in pretty direct conversation with them, sending match reports, sending video and ana analysis back to Louis. And, you know, we would have kind of continued the communication and, you know, Luke's development and what he needed to work on and what to emphasize yeah. and this and that. So, so got to know Louis obviously much better, you know, knew him as a player from when I was playing with Joe, we would have had maybe 10 or so sessions with them, okay. um, you know, throughout our career. Um, and got along really well with them then. And then now as a coach, kind of reiterating the information from the sidelines of what I saw from Luke. You I remember, I remember down there, you're like, actually, you had the chart when the matches, you're like, how do I actually do that? You're yeah, a bit like, yeah, the was, charting also was, you were just in straight in, you're throwing in the yeah, deep so, end. And it's, 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 let me tell you, it's very, it's very thorough, uh, how they do it. So I was definitely put in the deep yeah. end, but really enjoyed a great learning curve for me. So I spent the year. You know, obviously, first coaching gig was at the Australian Open, which is a fantastic place it to start. Get a, a, it doesn't get, get any much, better. Well, it does actually, but yeah. And uh, um, for me, it's actually it's the Aussie was probably the most enjoyable slam. How good was the Aussie? Ah, uh, it's brilliant. Yeah. So I actually thought I'd go down there. Oh, Dave's down there, hang out with him. But you were working down there. It's a full time job, and you're nearly a slave to your player, really, Absol aren't yeah, you? Absolutely. So that's what I got to understand down there. Where if you're part of a team, you're a slave to the team, and yeah. you can't have, you know, you're working. It's a full time. Yeah, gig I mean, it's always amazing how long the days take mm. on the tour. You know, by the time you've, you know, to hit an hour, it kind of takes three hours yeah. to do because you're kind of an hour in the gym warming up that's even before you get there yeah and then you get your course so you maybe have an hour maybe you have 90 minutes if, if, you're the, if you've got like if there's plenty of courts on yeah. site you get your 90 minutes practice in and then the boys are back in the gym little cool down stretch shower physio and the day's done you know and then at that point in time then you're i'm sure i may as well wait until the schedule's released to book on site for practice and so you're home at six seven you're like yeah the day just goes from you like that which is crazy but in australia the food is amazing food, the yeah, weather, yeah, the court set up like it was my first time there and the new setup there yeah was it was amazing. amazing yeah it really was but i think invariably you know all the tournaments do a great job there's some you're, you're nitpicking but they yeah. all do really good job yeah. catering to the players to be fair and they did it well looked after well looked after yeah 
At Functional Tennis, we are all about helping your tennis game get 1% better every day. That's why our match and practice journals are a great tool to have in your gear bag. The Functional Tennis match and practice journals help you plan and evaluate your matches and practice sessions. It includes goal setting, quotes, pressure tests, and more. It's used by players of all ages and levels, and it's a great way to get away from your phone and focus in on your game. To learn more, visit functionaltennis.com. So, you've obviously, the guys nearly had a great win. Yeah, yeah. So oh, for, they should have taken it. I well, know. well Murray have, stepped it up. Yeah, he did. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, there was a stage there that I had the best coaching record in the ATP Tour. Uh, it was one from one, yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100%. So, uh, the boys played a great first round. They beat Marius Kopel and... Uh, can't remember oh, who he played it. And uh, Fuxovic. Oh, Fuxovic, okay. Johnny and Luke took them out in a good win. And then they played Jamie and Bruno and won the first set. And then Jamie really se- stepped up his game. And then we narrowly lost the third set. Had a few chances. Yeah, kind of ebbed and flowed in our favour and we couldn't convert. And then the boys snuck it. I thought Murray at the end was the difference. I thought his yeah. lobs were the difference. Because I thought yeah, the last was returning the chip lob, which oh. has found the baseline every yeah. time and neutralised us. So, so I was, it was a great experience. It was a shame they couldn't pull through because for a stage, they were looking like the better yeah. team. Um, but yeah, my 100% record had to, God, had to come and go like that. Still 50% isn't bad. Sure. Still 50 yeah. is not bad. I think if you're doing over 50, you're doing well. Yeah. So you do the Aussie Open. Where to next? After Australia, I actually go back to New Zealand because I kind of had commitments with okay. some of the families. So I did another two, three weeks there. And then I believe New York. So we did New York Open. And uh, the guys lost quarters. Then we did Rio 500. Then they did... They played again in Brazil, right? Uh, the 250 in Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo 250. Then came home. And then, geez, the list is long. Yeah. But yeah, I basically followed Luke until Wimbledon. And did Luke play with Johnny, Johnny O'Mara, O'Mara for the whole campaign? For the whole campaign, yeah. Okay. Question before I move on. You're at all these tournaments here, the best tournaments in the world, the highest level. Did a bit of you want to still be playing out there? Um, is there any of that? Of course, you know, of course you see... It, it, you know, I, I definitely think I went on a pretty like personal journey with the injury and kind of letting go of yeah. being a tennis player. And of course, you know, it's, it's a game I love clearly if I'm still yeah. involved in it. And would you like to be playing on center courts? Well, there's one, would you like to play, but two, are you thinking, I'm, look, sort of sank out and I could be, it could be me out there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It could be me. And I do think if I had the persistence to keep going another little bit, you know, even, even by the time I sacked it in, like I was only 20 spots from my career high. Like, yeah. you know, it's kind of funny to think that you worked all this, yeah. all this at the time and then you get a little knock and you kind of bow out. Definitely not as glamorous as it seems, you know. Being a coach? Well, no, just uh, even being a player. Okay. You, you know, it's be- kind of like the fun of it. I think Joe would openly admit that like the, the fun of it is kind of at the challenger, the futures and challengers level where it there's a bit more camaraderie, you okay. know, uh, amongst the guys. And then and it doubles is a different story, but it's very much a business. I see. At the top end. Is it? I do see the, I know the few terms I was at, the English guys, at least they hang around. There's a bit, yeah. I notice that they don't overdo it. Yeah. But there seems to be a bit of camaraderie between either your own team or between nations. That is true. But in terms of like a lot of people start playing tennis for, the enjoyment yeah. of it and then now at the top level like it's a job then 
you know true yeah it's, it's a job and i hope joe doesn't mind me saying but it's a job that like joe almost struggled with at times even though he had a brilliant year brilliant career to date but it's like it's like the enjoyment leaves it and then it becomes like it's pressure it's pressure and perform and there's money at stake yeah. and all this kind of stuff and for me you know knowing my kind of humble background in tennis mm. like this is and maybe this is a cop-out and sorry to go deep. Yeah, no, deep is good. <laughs> but maybe this is a cop out from my own mindset. But like, should I be proud of my tennis journey? And I am. But it took me a long time to realize, to realize that I am. And why does it matter that I meet someone in Fitzwilliam and I could say, oh, I'm top 50 and they could be like, oh, sure, Jesus, that's great. And it would have been great. And of course, I'd love to have been top 50. But for my own personal journey, and everything that I've achieved, you know, my best was 117 on pretty minimal means. So I should be deeply proud of Very. everything that I achieved. And, and you're you kind of like... You did it quite quick as well. And like, I did you know, it quite not, quick. Yeah. yeah, I mean, within That's reason. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. Three, four year span, I suppose. So I should be innately proud of that. And while I was playing, I never was. You know, you're kind of... You're 117, you're like, oh, sure, there's 116 lads ahead of me. Yeah, you know, Y I is X, yeah. 80. And I, you know, I never I'm... took the time to really, like, be grateful for what I had achieved in the game because whatever I achieved quickly became, like, it's the past and, and I'm looking forward. And I think that's human nature. You know, once you've conquered whatever it is, getting your first ATP point, yeah. you know, I know I was incredibly nervous going for that. And then once you achieve it, then you think nothing of it and it's just routine. Yeah. So course I'd have loved you know I think I really would have had a decadent career my one regret maybe is maybe not making a slam it'd be nice to have a slam appearance yeah. in the in the repertoire as it were and unfortunately that's just not the way it's Wait, played it out, out and that's the way it is but but I look back on it and I am now much more proud and in a way this is again back to the cop it's kind of like innately mine you know no one really knows what it took to get to 117 and how close I was to being yeah. top 50, top 80, whatever my, you know, would I have been infinitely happier if I was, if I had two digits beside my career high instead of three? I don't really think so. Okay, of course, it would have been nice maybe to have a little bit more money in the bank yeah. account leaving the game. And, you know, of course, as you go up the levels, like you nearly need single digits for that now yeah but no i know, I know well. you do yeah. but like but in terms of just like when you go up the levels everything gets a little bit nicer yeah. you know you're playing the 250s and you're getting better lunch at the courts and you're getting better why better hotel but it's ultimately it's all the same like i've been this year i've been to some of the best cities in the world but like not really seen them like it's the same stuff that i what I didn't enjoy about the Chali tour, about the travel and the week in, week out and the hotel beds. Okay, the breakfasts and the lunches and the hotels are a bit nicer, but ultimately it's the same. So I, I can't really say that I really miss it. Well, at least you got to see that side of things. And maybe it would be different had I not yeah. been exposed to the year that I currently had. Yeah, you know, be still you could be still dreaming. I could be God, thinking, those guys yeah, I could be looking at Joe and... But because I'm still so close to them, like I know that it's it's not all it's cracked out to be as well. Um, and I saw it firsthand, which which obviously helps. Yeah. So tell me, you get to the summertime. Um, so, yeah. So summertime comes and finish the grass, which is a brilliant experience. Really enjoyed my first Wimbledon. 
Johnny and Luke had split. I was still set to kind of travel with with Luke and Luke was playing world team tennis and Joe was to be playing world team tennis and Rajiv Ram uh, took me aside actually during Queen's and just asked me what my next few weeks were looking like and what you're planning on doing. I was like, oh, I've not got much planned. Bam's got... What's Rajiv's ranking at this time? Um, I should, him and, him and Joe just made... They were top 20. They, right? Yeah, I mean, they were okay. heavily just in so the race. Just so people won't know. Like. Yeah, so, I mean, at the time, they were like six or seven in the race okay. to the O2. So Rajiv would have been still top 20. Okay, yeah. Okay, so you have a top 20 guy. So I have a top 20 to guy what are you doing? asking me what are my plans are for these, you know, certain weeks. Mm. Um, he's looking for maybe the week of Atlanta and Washington. I'm like, listen, I'm around to kind of, yeah. there's a little bit of confusion between Bam and I. Um, I, I, you know, I'm pretty transparent with Luke telling him that Rajiv's asked me, yeah. would you mind? And he's very blasé. And, and I guess the mix up was that he was fine with me doing it during the weeks of world team tennis. So there's a bit of crossover then when in the coming days, it looks like Rajiv doesn't want to do Atlanta anymore because Joe has now bowed out of world team tennis and the team are going to play Washington together. Originally, it was supposed to be Rajiv and Jamie Murray playing Washington together. And if I tag along for Atlanta, Washington, so I was like, brilliant. So then Joe bows out, Rajiv calls, maybe might do a bit of training, you know, a couple of days leading into Washington instead of Atlanta. And, you know, like I've cleared it with Joe. Joe seems, Joe was, to be fair to Joe, Joe was a little bit apprehensive because he didn't want it to seem that he was taking me from Luke. Okay. So, so there's a bit of politics involved. They're a close-knit family, the Brits. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, So Joe was a touch apprehensive and wanted to make sure things had cleared up with Luke. And Rajiv was like, oh, would you do Washington, then Montreal and Cincinnati? And I'm like, well, that looks great for my CV. I'm sure yeah. you could understand if it's an extra two weeks, but I'm doing Montreal and Cincinnati. Yeah. Because at this point in time, I'm still looking to get a visa sorted for the States. You know, it's after after Wimbledon, I'd heard that the assistant coach was had left Memphis. Okay. He'd fully left. He'd signed and sealed with Florida State now and Memphis were open so looking. You, you knew January 2020, my job would hopefully be in the, in the, in the US, US assistant yeah. coach at Memphis. So, so when Rajiv took me aside during Queens, he was like, you know, what's your plan long term? I was like, listen, I'm going to be on the tour until the end of the year, but most likely January, I'm going to be heading to Memphis. Yeah. So he's like, okay, good to know, good to know. So then, yeah, so flash forward, you know, maybe I stepped on Luke's toes and hurt him a little bit with doing Montreal mm. and Cincinnati, um, which we're fine with now. But at the time, and yeah. I understand, Tricky, I understand. Yeah. And equally, he realizes that it was a great opportunity for me. So I think as a friend, Luke would have been like, of course, you have to take it. But then yeah, a bit as, a, as a player coach, hurt by it and understandably so. And maybe I could have handled it a little bit better. But anyway, so I ended up doing the three weeks with the guys and it went quite well. They made the semis in Montreal, lost narrowly to Marcel and Horacio Zabayos. And then, yeah, follow them through then until the US Open. They want to keep me on until the US. Great. And again, they lose to Grenoyers and Zabayas in the US in the third round, which is really high level tennis. And you look back on Joe and Rajiv's 
kind of career or, you know, well, I guess you could say career because they only played together since starting last year. Um, so as a team, like they, they, they lost so many narrow ones. You know, I think in Australia, they were set and serving for, they were set up 5-4 serving against Mahu Herbert okay. in Australia and they won it. Their match goes, the first match to go to 12 all in the fifth set in Wimbledon where yes. they lose to Continent Piers. And then this match, they lose 7-6 in the third to Grenoyers, Zabayos, who obviously go on to then lose in the final. So they were very much on the, you know, knocking there. on the door yeah. to be challenging for slams. Yeah. And I do think that this year, they will contend for slams and have a great chance of winning a slam. For the US so Open. So the US Open go the US Open goes goes well and then they want to keep me on for the the Asian swing and finish out the year with them. So so I do so and they kind of stay in in the race and it's kind of down to the wire and was it and, down it was down to the well, wire. Well, I mean going into Paris. Okay. Um there was a match they lost in Shanghai. They lost 18-16 to Mao uh Roger Vass. And that would have got them in. And that would have been a big help. You know, I think this, it's like 180 points for losing and then 100 or 300 for Win. if they won that match. So that would have been a big swing and kind of jumped them up two places. So they kind of remained six, seven on the list going into Paris. And then they won Vienna, which was a big help. And that kind of bumped them up to like five, six. But you kind of, ne you still never really know what might happen. They're kind of clustered together yeah. and. Still, you never know. So then ultimately in Paris, Were you we in got confirmation. I was in Paris yeah. with them. Um, we got confirmation that, that they went through and then they had a pretty good run in Paris and entered the O2 ranked fourth. Best did, you, team. did you know if they got to the O2, you were going to the O2? Yeah, I'd have presumed that they okay. would have taken me along. Yeah. I didn't. I mean, I wasn't guaranteed, I suppose, but I, I, I yeah. thought as much that I probably would be taken. Great. So yeah, so then I ended my ending my coaching debut on the tour, my year debut on the tour. It must have been at pretty, the O2, pretty good. Which was again amazing experience. The ATP do a fabulous job. The tournament is is run exceptionally well and they really cater to the players. Um, you know, it's not every every day you get to take the boat down the Thames Great. to the O2. Yeah. Um but it's funny, like even as special as that is, like towards the end of the week. It's, it's still a commute, Can't be out here. you know, and it's ma it's amazing and it shouldn't be that way, but it is, you know, it, it's still a battle. You're like, oh, 40 minutes on the boat to get to the hotel. Yeah. Like, Jesus, you know. Feeling seasick. Yeah, well, not that, but, but it still loses its charm quickly, shall we say. Tell me, one thing I'm just thinking now is what do you actually do as a doubles coach? So there's a fair amount involved. So a lot of the time I would have done individual sessions with the guys just because they both got different skill sets and require kind of different practices. Yeah. Now, if they had a team practice or if they, you know, a day or two before a match, then we generally get a team practice in. But I'd be tracking all the time exactly what they're doing. There's a huge amount of stats that go into it because it's just a more controlled environment okay. to singles. So a lot of video analysis, a lot of charting of our matches, our opponents. What software do you use for video analysis? Is there ATP to our videos? Um, so some of the tournaments provide that. The... LTA use Dartfish. Okay. Um, so we would use Dartfish. I use a lot of Dartfish for scouting the opponents and it's a brilliant tool. And, you know, through Dartfish analysis, then the LTA have this other stats guy that generate another kind of okay. layout, yeah. and, which is, which is fascinating. So, so a lot of the, a lot of it would have been kind of that, just watching matches, yeah. preparing for opponents and then just 
tracking, just make sure that what I think is going to be relevant in the coming match gets addressed in practice. And then it's just, you'd be surprised how just kind of, they're humans and they forget. And a lot of the coaching is just basic. It really is. And a lot of it, which I kind of found out later on, is just kind of, it's like there's a time and a place to say it. You know, you kind of, you sometimes have to, Bite your tongue. Yeah, well, not, not bite your tongue, but just you want to, you want to feel like you're a, you're valuable and an asset. Yeah. But sometimes you can talk way too much and it's just, it's not required. Um, and both, you know, Luke was a dream to work with as, as were Rajiv and Joe, you know, highly coachable, highly motivated individuals. And it was, it, they were a dream, you know. When you work part as a team working for Ram, but were you working with Joe? Oh, yeah, but so I, was, I was both there. There's never a case where there's two coaches. It can happen, but I was very much just their traveling yeah. coach. That being said, the week of Cincinnati, Rajiv had his long-term coach, okay. um, who's based in Indianapolis, was there with him. But that being said, I was still running the session. Yeah. He was just on court, just watching okay. Rajiv. But I was still with both of them. So, yeah, it sounds like, uh, obviously, the career was really interesting. And then from a night in New Zealand to the ATP Tour Finals is pretty, yeah, yeah. pretty good. Like, And it goes back to my point of just like how, you know, that way, if we won that tournament in Memphis, how my the rest of my year looked like yeah. there, my coming few weeks was Chally Chally ATP. Or if I lost the match, it was like... 10Ks Futures in, in Glasgow yeah. and, you know, in a that's freezing. That's just crazy. So it's funny. And, and that's almost how I feel about my coaching career. It kind of just like stumbled into this amazing situation. I think you did the right thing just going with it and it worked out great. It but worked out really well. What What are your main learnings? Like, what did you learn from the pro game that you would have taught before was really complicated? Like, let's say it would have been something we say, I'll never be able to do that or stuff you didn't understand that. It's actually quite easy. Is there any... Stuff um, like that. Well, I think you probably have a, certainly before I was watching top people practice all the time, um, and just so involved at the highest level of the game. Like you have this kind of misconception that, that they're reinventing the wheel. They're coming up with these really elaborate, amazing drills where it's actually like, it's just the basics. They're just really good at executing the basics. And, you know, there's a lot of just generic, hand toss feeds and just rip the ball in yeah. here like there's nothing revolutionary out there you know I, the main coach is just supporting you know so when they look to the corner and they know that you genuinely have their best interest at heart like that's that's what gets them the going trust. the trust you know am i making rajiv's four and rajiv ram's forehand better than it already is of course not like can i actually teach him his level in singles like no i'm just a support for him and i'm just guiding him he's told me you know, he's trusted me and he's opened up to me what he wants me to look out for and his own demons and Joe's own demons and for trigger words for me to come up with on the practice court or on the match court. And that's my role. Yeah. Um, as well as kind of, you know, figure, I mean, there's, there's so little in it in terms of points won and loss, you know, oh. especially in doubles where, you know, you're two points away from the match being yours and it's all of a sudden a great result or a tragic defeat. But there's know? so many though. I so many of those. Results, yeah. So it's like, it's, it's me being objective about it and be like, listen, like you just may hey, got a little bit lucky. He executed, you know, they're able to do that. Your opponent's able to hit good shots, but you did exactly what we've emphasized in practice. And today they were good enough to execute. You know, some days that's going to be us. Yeah. 
uh, you keep putting in the work, the, can, will, yeah, the results will come. The results will come. And that's why I do think since I joined with them, we really did get a better understanding of each other's roles. And I do think that that's what led to better performances towards the tail end of the year and winning those tight matches because they can serve great. And, it, you know, I think they won Dubai 500 without facing a break point, you Pretty know. Big. So, and that's the A game and they can do that for a week, but like, that's not always going to be the case. And just, and they've every tool at their disposal, but not even that can help just in terms of, their relationship together and their energy. For me, the big turning point was that US Open match where Marcel Grenoyers is just the epitome of a brilliant partner, you know, regardless of what Horacio, no, Horacio's not doing much wrong, no, but yeah. like there's so much positive emotional energy channeled his way, regardless of what he does, good or bad, Top. that that's what elevates him in the, in the moments that yeah. he needs him. You know, I, I said it to Raj after the match that like, it was really high level match. Like, that honestly, really high level match. I'm sitting on the sideline thinking whoever wins this match, honestly, gonna win the has a good chance to win the tournament. Like legitimately yeah. that thought passed through my head. And it's something as simple as, now I'm sure those boys weren't, you know, counting the numbers and checking percentages, whereas we kind of were because yeah. I have that at my disposal going into the match and we played them you know, we played yeah. them in Montreal. So we have all the information from everything we did well yeah. there and where they beat us. So we're kind of like duking yeah, yeah. it out. They're just like, they're just out there being positive and like addressing the performer. Yeah, there's no stats. For there's that. no stats for that. You know, whereas us being like a little bit generic to one another, be like, oh, next time. Whereas Marcel's constant energy and maybe it's just the Spanish that evokes more passion or whatever. Mm. Or he's like, vamos, vamos, vamos. But and that keeps them going. Does that get the opponents down a little bit when you're seeing, it's like these guys are so pumped up. Things aren't going well, but they're still pumped up. Yeah. Like, Rajiv, Rajiv tells a great story that he was two sets to love up against Marcel at the Open in singles. And he came out the start of the third set full of energy and it totally psyched Raj out. And he ended up losing in five, you know, thinking that he had him down. And I think that's one thing that some of the mentality that these guys have towards it is some of them some of them you'd be surprised it's poor and they're just really talented yeah, at hitting the ball a certain yeah. way and some of them are just like do you think from Rajiv from that loss against Granola's in singles where he's two sets to love up and he lost do you think that affected his doubles um, that he knew this guy knew his energy can come back he's affected me before do you think uh, I guess maybe maybe there's there's the yeah. subconscious that kind of remembers that but they're they're actually quite good friends you know they they won Paris Masters last year or 2018, I suppose. So they, they know each other. Um, but who's not to say that it didn't play yeah, a little bit of a role? But they do know, you know, his never say die attitude is admirable and certainly wins him points as a result. Yeah. Wins and him more points than he should win. Then he yeah. should. You know, he sneaks one or two out of the barrel. And sometimes that's all it takes yeah. to turn these matches, you know, because he sneaks one out of the barrel and you know, you're feeling a little bit down. You're thinking, oh, I should have put the volley there. I should have put it away. And you're a little bit negative. And then he gets a little bit of a kick of a steal and two points. Also, it's, you know, you're down and he's up two yeah. notches. Then there's a three or four notch difference in your like performance state. Yeah. And then that's how momentum changes. Then next thing you know, you're like, yeah, crying. Yeah. Then and you're, the next thing you know, you're shaking hands yeah. and it's all over. Yeah. So tell me, so that's your coach. Well, we're still going to talk about your coaching career, but that's your ATP tour coaching career yeah. come to an end now. Yeah. So now you're taking a few days off in Dublin and you are flying to Memphis soon to begin. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm still, I'm as, as of right now, 
uh, unless an email has come through from my lawyer in the States while we've been taping this, I'm still waiting for my visa to be cleared. Okay. But so, considering that wi that will be cleared? Considering all going well, that will be cleared and I should be taken off in the next week to 10 days. Great. So to start a so, new gig, coaching gig, do you know the players you're going to be working with? Uh, bits and bobs from going back in through town. You know, I would have used Memphis as a little bit of a hub while I was in the States, you know, and I kind of talked yeah. about reloading on weeks in the road. Like it, certainly going back to Memphis always felt like going back home. Um, and catching up with friends and almost family that I had yeah. there. So I, I, I kind of kept touch, obviously, with a few of the crew, yeah. but, but, uh, not Close. on a deeply personal yeah. level. You know, I don't know their games inside out. You know, I was last in town was last year. Um, at some point, I think, yeah, Bambo played Houston. Okay. ATP. And I, before that, I was in Memphis and, uh, and saw a dual match. So like I've seen them play, but you know, they're yeah. young squad and up and coming and got really exciting new facility that's being built, um, which is going to be one of the best in college. They have 12 wow. indoor courts and 24 outdoor wow. courts. That's impressive. So, so they're breaking ground on that. So the program is definitely heading in the right direction, as is kind of Memphis athletics with it's one of only three or four schools that have their men's basketball team and American football team both ranked in the top 15. Okay. So really exciting time to kind of be jumping Great. on board wow. um, with this new facility in the pipeline. That's, I think it's about 22 million that they've got raised for it already. They're so it looks, it looks fantastic. So yeah, hopefully that'll be well, a nice little recruiting tool. And yeah, I think it's a, it's a good sweet spot of tennis. In the especially with that, those facilities over there. Yeah, you know, exactly. Because there's just, there's bigger holes in the game. You know, I think more than anything, now that I've kind of come back to Ireland and I'm watching some local tennis that's on display, like all I've done for the past year is watch like a lot of yeah. high level tennis, sometimes three or four matches a day, you know, when scouting opponents and, and this and that. It really shows, you know, decision making is at such a high level now yeah. that I've only watched that when I get back to lower level tennis. You're kind of like, Jesus, what are they doing? Do you see like the... Terrible decision making at the lower level, yeah, at the yeah. junior level. Yeah, at the junior level in particular, but even yeah, even like even at the a low end of the high level, yeah, even decision at the, yeah, decision making and just yeah, decision making can be can be really poor yeah. and suspect. I mean, more so from I, I I feel out of place to to comment on singles. You know, I, I've not been but involved. The same mentality, though. The right? same mentality transfers to a degree, but even when you kind of correlate, because we're nitpicking three or four points a match to try and win in order to sway the match yeah. in our direction. And then when you go from that, and even if I, I'm sure if I was to watch back some of my own matches that I played, yeah. I'd be like, I can't believe, because I know what to do. Now, it's a different story altogether. It's amazing when you're sat in the sidelines watching these guys and you're like, that's a makeable shot. Yeah. But like when you're out there trying to do it, oh, it's, it's, totally, it's, it's total yeah. different ball game. And it's funny, you know, even when you see tennis on TV, it looks like a completely different sport. It does look easy sometimes. It on does TV. look You're easy. Like, the guys are that. just smoothing it up and down the middle, but they're, you know, in real life, they're absolutely drumming mm, it back yeah. and forth. TV definitely doesn't give the no. perception speed. I think the best angle sometimes they show behind the court. Sometimes Amazon do that now and it gives you yeah. better sense. Still not a perfect sense. No, no, far from it. You know, absolutely far from it. Only when you're kind of, even in some of the big tournaments, you know, when you're at the up the nosebleeds, you know, yeah. it's hard to really get a grasp. When you're down intimate oh. and in it, then it's amazing. You know, I, I guess one of my highlights from the year was uh, during Cincinnati, Rajiv actually pra practiced with Fed. 
And uh, so it was the first time kind of meeting Raj and uh, I was a brilliant experience, but just to yeah. see him up close and personal and how we, and, and Rajiv is pretty smooth from the back too. So when you feed him in, you're just watching them going laser and back and forth. Nice. It was like, and how you got bad. the intro into Fed, did you? Got the intro into Fed. So I'm expecting the contract to come through the mail with him now anytime nice. soon. Nice. 2021, I'll Great. be on the sidelines yeah. at Raj. Do a year, a year <laughs> Memphis, then year back Memphis to Raj. And then back to Raj. For the over 40s career. <laughs> but tell me, so we end this with two questions. What, should a junior work on now? I know you say your work was all with doubles, but the mentality thing, I think, is the same. But what do you see that a junior could work on today that would make a difference at the top level or give them a better chance against somebody else? One thing I think that I didn't do enough of was probably watch enough high-level tennis. I probably didn't watch enough top doubles to really understand. And I think it helps to have like that imagery in your head, of in your mind's eye of like what it should look like. I think then in the moment, if your mind can like trace back to that, then it becomes almost easier to execute. So watching high level tennis, now, I in think- In person is, or on TV? I think either. Okay. I think either. On person, probably better. And but, on the court tomorrow, what could they do? If they're going to listen to this today and tomorrow they're going out on court, what's one thing, be it singles or doubles, that they can work on that you think can make a big difference? And they possibly don't work on it at the moment. I would say having a better mentality towards yourself. Often as tennis players, we're quite negative towards mm -hmm. ourselves when we miss a shot. Whoever is listening to this, like you're going to make errors and hit some double faults and hit some silly shots. You know, that, that's going to happen in your next match. And so is Fed. And so is Fed. It's your own fault for how you react to that. You know, it's the classic, what's in the past is past, you know, focus on the present. But for me, I would say kind of analyze the mistake in the sense that, okay, how, where have I missed this? I've missed this long. Okay. Well, what do I need to do on the next one in order to not mm. miss it long? Yeah. Okay. Maybe a little bit more spark on contact, accelerate on contact or whatever, maybe, but analyze the shot. You know, you fail to remain objective when you're out there as a tennis player, you kind of just see, see, yeah, you just see it as an error and that's yeah. not good enough. Well, find the solution, you know, don't just state the problem. Don't just state that you missed the ball long or you hit yeah. an error. Find the solution to that for the next one and going forward. And if you kind of adopt that mentality, well, you know, if you're getting half percent better every time you step out in court. Well, that's a lot. Adds up. Adds up. If yeah. you're showing up every day. If you're showing up every day. There's the famous Jack Nicholas, uh, Jack Nicholas quote where he's on stage and he gets asked a question. He goes, Jack, so like, why did you tree put today or whenever last week at a, some famous tournament? He's yeah. like, Oh, I didn't tree put. I've never tree put it in my life. Yeah. He just refused to Ignore, feel, to yeah. acknowledge that he actually did tree put. He just would not accept it. And yeah. that's just mentality there. Yeah. I think just, yeah, I think just resilience, just being your own best friend, you know, how, how often w watched a yo younger brother or a teammate or whatever, you know, if you're so positive on the sidelines, but well, we fail to be that positive yeah. impact to ourselves in the court. Yeah, I haven't heard that one before. Be your best friend. Be your own best yeah. friend, you know, be, be nice to yourself. And I think everyone's guilty of it. It's so easy. Oh, yeah. And that's one thing. If I were to go back playing, I think I would have a better perspective in that sense to just kind of think a little bit bigger picture and, and not get caught up upset. in the emotions of missing a ball. Like, does it really matter? Does it really matter? You know, and tell me, last question is winter league in Dublin starts in. Two or three weeks. Oh, does it? Yeah. What doubles drills can I do to, um, to, to one drill that we can do in team one practice? One thing I'd say morning. is just, just practice match specific 
shots. So like a return? Well, yeah, or just or just like anything that you feel like you struggle with. I feel like, you know, when I'm watching, you know, I've done a little bit of coaching since I'm back in town and I watch these kind of squads of these kids here. Yeah. Like it's so lethargic and it's so unrealistic. It's it, like these warm-ups, like none of the shots correlate into a match. Okay. You know, so find a way to set up specific scenarios. So like some sort of even a pattern or so some a sort of pattern or yes, or or yeah, serve return. Yeah. What about score situations like forty love up on or forty set fifteen forty down? Yeah, your trying to create trying to recreate pressure, obviously a huge thing. And it's tough to do that in practice, but I think put money on the line. Put money put something on the line. Yeah. Put I don't know, a two minute plank on the line or <laughs> yeah. something. But but for doubles, I think a lot of it you can quickly, you know, we can talk off air, but just talking like positional stuff, putting yourself in the right position, understanding, you know, the high percentage chance of where the yeah. ball might go so you can impact the point and whatever I, else. I do agree. Sometimes you go out and practice. And I personally like to practice with intention. Yeah. I don't know even you, baby. I don't get to yeah. practice that much. So when I go out there, I always strive and get better. So I want to yeah. do something that's worth my time yeah, or my while. Rather than going out, and going through the tennis balls. I'm not, I'm not really into that, to be honest. And I never have been, but yeah. yeah so for me, it's just going out. Yeah. I, practice with an intention is good. And I would, you know, I guess I'm trying to understand my own coaching philosophy. And I do think that quality over quantity is something that I want to, to bring to the table. Yeah. I don't think you, you necessarily have to do the, the three hour sessions. I think a lot of that can, can create bad habits. You know, if you're a bit more, strategical and surgeon-like, you can get what needs to be yeah. done. I think often, maybe looking back at my career, I, I tried to get everything better in a session and it's just not feasible. No. You know, pick one aspect of the game, pick one specific shot and master it. And that's all you have to do. You have to master a few shots and not be a jack of all trades. Yeah. Yeah. Jack of all trades gets into trouble in every wake of life. So they say. But yeah. So Dave, thank you very much. Really appreciate that. Very insightful. Appreciate it. Luck. Thanks for having me on. Good luck Cheers. in Memphis. Thanks. Whoa, what a great story. I'd heard bits of that before, but I hadn't heard everything. And especially with the last year with Dave being away so much, it was great to get his story, get his insights into what it's like in the pro tour and see sometimes it's not what it's made out to be. And it can be quite tough being on the road week on week. So really insightful. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, big thanks to Dave. As I said, if you're new, please hit subscribe button. If you know anybody else who may be interested in the podcast, would really love if you could share it with them. But other than that, I'll catch you here next week. And thanks to Head again. Bye. Oh.